Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. My name is Jeff Neusser, here with my co-host, Seth Cullen, and somebody whose voice you won't hear, our producer, Jeff Collier. And uh, and Seth, you know, it seems like this is sort of a broken record, and so we're going we're gonna to try to sort of limit this, but, you know, again, not another great week for the Pac-12. Uh, Cal loses last night to, uh, to, to let's say last night because it's Monday morning, say last night, uh, Cal loses to San Diego State. Washington lose to Nevada on the road Friday night. Um, just, just some more. UCLA gets slapped around by Texas. Um, just you know, not not a good week again again for the big name teams and and again sort of controversy down there in Westwood and Washington can't win a game on the road. It just seems like we've heard sort of all these storylines before. Yeah, I mean it's uh, uh, yeah, this is sort of a it is sort of a repeat. I mean uh, Utah lost big, and I mean there's some bright spots um, from some places that we didn't really expect, um, and that's Stanford and Oregon State, um, and I think you know those are two teams that at least are you know beating people. One loss um, and. The rest, I mean, the, the names that were expected, UCLA, Arizona, and um, Cal and Washington, I guess, are, the, are definitely underwhelming. They're not terrible, but they're definitely underwhelming at this point. Yeah, and, you know, it's we'll get to those those other teams that are, that are sort of exceeding expectations maybe a little bit. But, um, you know, Washington was uh, – did get to catch – Basically, just overtime of that game happened to uh, flip it on at just the right moment to watch the end of the uh, Deontay Burton show, which I, I will say that I warned you about. You did well; it wouldn't have been an issue if they hadn't. You know, it was and it, it was shaping up to be a good game. You know, they had they had gotten down early and they came back and they showed some. You know, Moxie Terrence Ross was having a terrible game, but the other guy other guys picked it up. Um, they have a four point lead with well, they had those seven, six-point lead, I want to say. No, they have a five-point lead with, like, ten seconds to go. Some guy hits a circus shot. Um, then uh, then um, Darnell Gant misses, hits the first center of 1-1, one one, planks off the rim in the second. Uh, they get the ball. They drive. They race down court. Tony Roden's supposed to foul because they're up three. He thinks he fouls. He doesn't. And what ends up happening is they give Burton, wide open shot at the top of the key. He drains it, and then over time he just goes nuts. So, you know, if, if the guy, if they miss either of those two threes, everyone's like, oh, you know, it's a tough game. It's on the road. Do they win? But they both go in, and now it's back to, oh, Huskies can't win a game on the road, and what does this mean? And right, we'll see. I mean, they've definitely got a chance to, to change the conversation. They play Marquette on Tuesday and then Duke um, later in the week. Uh, so, and I think, you know, I think they can, well, might be a little much to see they can play with, to say they can play with Duke, but they have the athletes to play with Duke. So, um, uh, you know, hopefully they can flip the script on that. But uh, you know, again, people are pulling out the whole "why can't they win the close game? Why can't they win on the road?" kind of thing. Right, and you know, if they can somehow figure out a way to uh, to stick with Marquette and Duke, um, you know, I think that that will, you know, obviously be a um, a huge starting point. But I mean, you know, they almost have to. Uh, you know, you hate to say they have to win one of those games, but you also look at that and go, if they don't, all of a sudden they'll be riding a three game losing streak and and will have lost uh, three of their or four of their last five, um, all of them away from sort of uh, the the Alaska Airlines Arena. 
you know, up here in right. Seattle, and yes. so it's uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was no like, I was like, no one calls it Alaska Lens Arena here. Um, yeah, heck, Ed. And so you know, it's it's it'll be it'll be interesting to see. They they you know that 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 non foul with Roten. I think. Um, you know he's just he's such a such a talented kid. You know, there's no doubt about that. But he also is you know somewhat. Sometimes you wonder like where his head's at. And uh, well, you know, well, I mean, here's what I would say. It's not so much the the not not the not getting the foul. It was more like the the okay, I foul the guy, or I think I foul the guy. And then I'm going to sort of stand there and incredulously stare at the referee, like I can't believe you didn't call a foul there, and you know what I mean, and not not sort of yeah. sticking with the play. And I think that's that's where I say like, you know, just sort of wondering like I think he just it seems like he sort of makes makes assumptions on the basketball court sometimes, he, and I'm not just yeah. talking about the the foul, you know, it's, it's his passes and some of his shot selection and just sort of assuming that teammates are going to, you know, be wherever. It, you know, just, I, I guess, you know, and it, and it wouldn't be such a, uh, maybe it wouldn't be such a, 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 a like, a, like a thing I'm being critical of if, if he didn't do sort of, Boneheaded things sometimes, and and sort of ooze such such confidence, and maybe that's maybe it's the swagger that is sort of get, getting me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, a he's young. He's even young for being a freshman. He's, I think he's only, I think he's only seventeen, or he's close, very close to he just turned eighteen. He was thirteen when he was a freshman at Garfield. So, um, I think in a way, it's almost that he's he knows the game so well. I think sometimes that he expects things to happen, and when they don't, I think it kind of throws him off. I mean, I think he felt like he did foul the guy, so, you know, that's that. What's he supposed to do, tackle him? I mean, it all happened kind of in the blink of an eye. So, I didn't I mean, when I saw it live, I didn't even know really what happened. I thought he just kind of went for a steal, which is something that he does all the time, too. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. He's a, a terrific, amazing player, and he's already having – he's not just having an impact – um, scoring and making passes, you know, he's getting rebounds. He's he's all he's doing a lot of things on the court. He's playing great defense. So, I mean, I think Roten so far is as good, if not better, than advertised. And yeah, of course, he's going to just do kind of boneheaded things. But you know, yeah. I'll take that over, uh, you know, the alternative of well, I don't know what. So yeah, and I, and, and I mean, I think you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see him against you know in Madison Square Garden against Marquette and Duke. When he is a guy that likes the big stage, uh, and um, hopefully he doesn't, you know, just go nuts. Hopefully he, like, plays yeah. in the system, but, um, but yeah. Well, one, you know, one interesting thing is, as I'm looking real quick, and we'll wrap up Washington here in a sec, is yeah. that he he's actually using about 36% of UW's possessions when he's on the floor, which means he's, mm-hmm. you know, 36% of, of the possessions when he's on the floor, ending with him doing something, a shot, right. a, a, a turnover, an assist, whatever. Um, his offensive rating, though, on those possessions is 86, which mm-hmm. is exceptionally bad. Um, that's, that's 100 would be average. You know, it's, and it's basically a, a metric of sort of points produced per possession used basically and so um you know for a team who is you know is basically scoring 1.09 points per possession he's only scoring 0.86 on the possessions that he uses and yeah. so it's basically what the main issues are um his shooting has been bad and yeah. he's turning the ball over a lot and it's yeah. kind of those two things combined um are not 
sort of are, are sort of causing some some major. That's sort of what's dragging it down. I mean, he's only right. he's only made forty six percent of his twos. Um, he is getting to the line at a really good rate and drawing tons of fouls, but he's only making forty eight percent of his free throws. Forty eight percent, I know. Which is uh, I don't know what to make of that. I, I would assume that you know, as somebody who saw him play a lot in high school, you can tell me that you don't know what's going on and that he can make his free throws. Well, I mean, I think he shot, definitely shot, wouldn't consider him a 46% free throw shooter, but um, his outside shot needs lots and lots and lots of work. And his, I don't know, his free throws, he always, I don't know if he's, I can't remember if he's still doing, but he always had these weird, like, things that he would do before his free throws, like he was trying to make up his own little pre-free throw uh, maneuver. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe he's just out of, he's out of sorts somehow in his little, his little uh, pre, pre-shot thing. But, his, you know, his outside shot is, you know, it's just, it's not good. I mean, it's well, completely redone. So, yeah, so, it yeah, take I mean, him any threes, which is a good thing. But, yeah. Yeah. It, I would argue, you know, if Washington, I mean, just, just quick and dirty analysis of Washington, Tony Roten needs to shoot less, needs to try to make the flashy pass less, and needs to figure out the way to get the ball into the hands of Terrence, Terrence Ross Moore. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's fair. His 118.5 offensive rating <laughs> on his uh, only 21% of possessions used. Although he is taking yeah. well, 25% of the shots when he's on the floor. But Well, you know, and in a way, uh, Ross is, uh, you know, I mean, like when last year when Ross, in Ross's first few games as a freshman, he played a lot like Roten is now. Yeah. He was taking every single shot. You know, he was making, he was having a lot of turnovers. And, you know, he just, he's, incredibly talented but he just has to kind of learn you know it's not you're not the fastest you're not four inches taller than everybody you're playing you're not the fastest guy in the court anymore you can't just drive on everybody and score you know there's bigs in the middle um i'm just looking at ross last year he was you know two for seven in his first game they played kentucky he only played 10 minutes took one shot they played michigan state he was one for five he was over four the next game so i don't know it seems like roten's been playing a little more minutes uh and he's getting more of a chance to kind of advertise that he's hasn't quite figured it out yet. But yeah, well, but and, and he dominates this season. Yeah, I mean, he dominates the ball in a way that Ross never has. You know, Ross is basically well, a catch and shoot. Yeah. yeah, he's basically a catch and shoot guy. So, you know, but they've, yeah, you know, you've got all these guys who are playing exceptionally efficiently in Ross and Gaddy and Wilcox and even Gant. And I mean, all of them have offensive ratings above 110. And yeah. yet, Roten is the guy who's who's dominating the ball, and uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see sort of how how Romar kind of goes about that, and and if they really if they change things up a little bit against Marquette and Duke, because obviously you know he's he's the same kind of athlete as you would find, you know, or maybe even better athlete as you would find than you would find with Marquette and Duke. But um, you know, those are two teams that are going to play. Um, you know, pretty high pressure defense and potentially force him into more, uh, more errors and and his high risk, high reward style. I think is gonna uh, may or may not serve them well. I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see. And then of course, yeah. you know, UCLA, which you know, let's let's just give sort of the the uh, two minute nod to UCLA and the disaster down there in Westwood. Um, got slapped around again by Texas. Uh, Reeves Nelson doesn't play the entire second half. Josh Smith plays five minutes in the second half, um, just sort of visibly continuing to be out of shape. Uh, you know, 
Howland continues to say Josh needs to get himself in better shape, and I'm like, dude, we are six, seven games, eight games into the uh, season. If you're not in shape now, you're probably not going to be. So, I, well, you know, in his, his sophomore season, you know, I mean, last, yeah. you know, everyone knew everyone knew he was out of shape coming into, you know, when they recruited him, sure. he was out of shape. Everyone knew he was out of shape. He doesn't take a genius to look at Josh Smith and see that he, you know, has uh, a lot of, not a ton of muscle definition, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, um, and yet, you know, nothing. Uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know if Howland just assumes it's sort of, you know, I mean, part of a college coach's job is to motivate guys. It's, you can't just I mean, maybe he's just recruiting the wrong guys for his style. You know, he's got Nelson, who's a hothead, and who he just can't, doesn't seem to have any ability to control. He benched him for the second half, so maybe that's kind of a start, I guess. But, you know, again, I go back to, you know, Lee and uh, Honeycutt and those dudes leaving last year um, with, you know, very limited, you know, with the lockout hat coming and, and, and not super outstanding prospects and, it just seems like he doesn't have any. I don't know. I mean, I I would almost say that doesn't seem like the team listens to. I would assume he's telling Josh Smith he needs to stay in shape, but Josh Smith doesn't stay in shape. I'm assuming he's telling Reese Nelson, "Hey, stop spazzing out in the court." But Reese Nelson doesn't do it, um, and so now what he's left with is he's not playing. He benched Nelson for a half. Smith hardly played at all. He's gone back to a three guard lineup. Um, now he's talking about going back to play zone again like they did last year, which the players don't want to do. Um, but it's just, you know, it's like he, it's almost, you know, he did, either he had a plan and now the plan has completely backfired on him because he was talking about playing, you know, where at the three and, you know, have these three big guys and this would be, and now he's just completely shifted course. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, uh, it's it doesn't seem to be getting any better. They're now, what, two and five? Yep. And, uh, you know, they lost at home to Texas, and now they've got, you know, a bunch of pretty easy games coming up. Five straight games against – or four, four – five straight games against minor conference teams. So, presumably, they'll make the record look a little better going into Pac-10 play, but who the heck knows? Yeah, they'll probably lose at home to Richmond. I will say that. Richmond's mm-hmm. a good, good A-10 team. But, um, yeah, the, the the other teams in between, Penn and Eastern Washington and UC Davis, UC Irvine um, – all of them either home or semi-home, you know, where they're playing, um, you know, nearby or whatever. I don't, I don't know if that's – Ken Pomeroy puts these – I know, Ken Pomeroy puts these semi-homes. I'm guessing it's probably like the home games are the ones at the uh, at the sports arena and then the semi-home are, are the ones that they're playing sort of at the surrounding venues. That would yeah, be they're playing in Penn and Anaheim at the yeah. Honda Center. Yep, so there um, you go. Yeah, yeah, I you know it's it, it, you know we we sort of spent some time last year you know maybe poking a little fun at UCLA fans for for being so down on Howland and and we all just you know you and I just kind of went oh yeah well, that really sucks you know Final Fours and you know we, we should all be so lucky to have a terrible coach but at the same time it's like now we're sort of this is kind of like year three of of UCLA mm-hmm. being kind of a total mess and um, you know it, at some point. You kind of just go, you know, something's seriously, seriously wrong, and and maybe it's just representative of kind of the whole 
you know, athletic department down there. Um, you know, the obviously football and basketball, men's basketball being being sort of your two uh, the two faces of, of any athletic program, and UCLA basketball being you know as big as you know UCLA football, and, and the football team is is you know obviously they've they've fired their coach, but he's still coaching, and they're. They've got, you know, they, they just played in the Pac-12 championship at 6-6 six and six and got annihilated by uh, Oregon, and, and now they're going to go play in a bowl game. If they lose that, they finish 6-8 and eight after losing a bowl game. And, and and now, so they fired him, but now they're, they Chris Peterson at Boise State said, I don't think I'm coming. And, uh, you know, the athletic director is kind of under fire. I don't know. It's just sort of like... It's kind of crazy how how I guess just sort of out of control things look down there, and and it's and I guess you know it's it, it sort of is very representative on the basketball court where Reeves Nelson is just doing his thing and you know was being criticized not just for not playing in the second half but for laughing on the bench and pointing at the crowd and just sort of generally being a. I don't know, petulant maybe is the word. And, and you know, it's sometimes I think, you know, Howland is, you know, maybe he would have been better off just, you know, telling, you know, saying, all right, well, fine. You know, I mean, if, if, if these issues with Reeve Nelson, Reeves Nelson really are as, uh, have really have gone back as far as everybody wants us to believe, then why is he still there? You know, why Why have they not just said, you know, fine, just go away. You know, why? Because, well, I mean, it, there just seems to be that sort of, ethos across the team of, you know, who's really in control and... Well, and then you saw it with, uh, you know, Jeremy Anderson gets, you know, is, is well, he's pleads guilty and charges stemming from stealing a laptop. Right. And he gets a two-game suspension, one of which is an exhibition game. Correct. I mean, like, that's ludicrous that that would be the punishment for that. I mean, it's just hard for me to imagine John Wooden... I mean, I don't know. I feel like John Wooden would kick the guy off the team right then. I don't think there would even be a question. It's a suspended guy for a game. It's just, I don't, this just doesn't make any sense to me. And, you know, don't know the full story. Maybe there's extenuating circumstances, whatever. But, and that yeah. just seems like something that's so obvious that, you know, I mean, there are coaches that will suspend guys for, you know, missing, you know, I mean, one of the, I don't know, the Husky fans probably know the story, but one of the, I don't know if other team fans or other teams do, but the, the first year the Huskies were in the NCAA tournament when they played UAB, under Romar, the first year in the tournament under Romar, uh, Will Conroy and Nate Robinson, and I think one other player, on the way back, they, were, they went out from the hotel, from the team hotel the night before the game, to go look for something. They got lost on the way back. Walking back, they got lost, and they missed their bed check by five minutes. Next game, with a first tournament appearance in however long, Romar suspends them for the first five minutes of the game. They can't play, and they end up losing that game by two points. Um, and they were really upset, but they said afterwards that it was a really big turning point because they realized that, you know, Romar really meant what he said. He was going to actually enforce the rules. And if you're going to enforce the rules in the NCAA tournament game, then, you know, you know the guy's always going to enforce the rules. And after that, they really, you know, kind of believed in him, even though they lost the game. And that's the kind of discipline, I think, in a college basketball program you have to have. Uh, and, to you know, I mean, I don't know if the other players on the team, and you're like, this guy did that and gets a one-game suspension, basically. I don't know, just... Uh, I just don't think that works. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I think the extenuating circumstance that you mentioned with Anderson is he's one of about two Pac-12-level guards on their roster. <laughs> um, 
you know, Lazar Jones is is terrible, and Tyler Lamb is is playing okay. Anderson has sort of been far and away their best guard so far. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a mess, and and it's going to be interesting to see if they can sort of uh, you know pull some things together over the next four or five games. And Cal, you know, Cal loses to San Diego State. I don't think there's any shame in that. San Diego State's probably you know the polls aren't out yet, but it, you know I, I think I'd be a little surprised if San Diego State isn't ranked this week. They've come back very strong from losing Kawhi Leonard and a, and a passel of other seniors. Uh, you know, and they, they, they end up winning that game against Cal sort of in the last minute. Um, you know, it was only a one-point game, although Cal could never get within more. They never really had the lead in the final minute. They were they were down by three and then down by four and couldn't get a critical stop. Um, and that, uh, that loss was, I believe, at home. So... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, and Cal is their own personnel issue because Richard yeah. Solomon, who's their Richard Solomon, sophomore, yeah. talented, wiry big man, he was suspended for conduct contrary to department, athletic department policy, whatever that means, um, but something that good, obviously. And so uh, he's out for, who knows, no, they're not saying how long, why or how long he's out. So, you know, a one-point game, that was actually at SDSU, but um, a one-point game, you know, you figure – you have him, maybe you win the game, but there's uh, guys dropping out all over the place. Well, and, and Montgomery lamented we, we couldn't get a rebound. We couldn't get a rebound. Well, as I'm looking at Richard Solomon's stats, um, he pulls down 32% of opponents' misses when he's not on the floor, fourth nationally. So he, uh, they, uh, my guess is they really, really could have used him down the stretch. I mean, he hasn't been any kind of an offensive force really at all, but, uh, you know, at the very least, he, he may have been available to, to grab an offensive rebound there. And I think you kind of have to say that SDSU – uh, UNLV and Gonzaga are probably the three best teams on the West Coast. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably I think that's probably fair. Um, San Diego State could very easily be uh, they're eight and two right now. They could very easily be nine and one after losing by two points to Creighton uh, at home. So that was that was a game. So in addition to yep. Yeah, I'll beat Arizona. Um, yeah, it's that's hard. <laughs> you know, that's it's like come on, you know, guys, come on. But you know, it's um, you know, and, and we keep hearing how reinforcements are coming next year with um, right. You know, with uh, the recruiting classes at Arizona and UCLA, and that that may end up being you know, as we as we talk about Helen, you know, I don't know how serious it is that he's actually. I don't know that he's actually on any kind of hot seat because of sort of all the messes, the other messes that are going on there. Uh, in, in Los Angeles, but uh, his saving grace at the very least might be that he's apparently got a really good recruiting class coming in. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the more pleasant surprises. Uh, yeah. Know, I want to talk a little bit about Stanford, and you know, it's funny. A year ago, I don't know if you remember, but we sort of went through our uh, you know predictions, projections of of the conference, and you know, I, I said I was kind of real high on the Stanford bandwagon. You know, I was I said that I would not be surprised if Stan, you know, as we were trying to pick teams that might pop up and be a little better than than we thought, and I said you know Stanford might be a team that that pops up there that that surprises some people. I like what they do and and they you know, it turns out I may have been a year early. Uh but still, you know, they I thought they had a nice foundation and, and, and as I'm as I'm looking at their stats and I, I'm kinda trying to to see, okay, you know, what can they tell me about about what they're doing. The one interesting thing is that they are incredibly democratic with uh mm. 
with their with their offense. Uh, they 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 don't have. They've only got one person on the team who uses more than twenty, let's say twenty three percent of the possessions when he's on the floor, and that would be Dwight Powell, who but he's only playing like not very many minutes. <laughs> so, you know, as, I, as I'm looking up and down, they've got all these guys who are using, you know, between like uh, like 18 and 22% of the possessions. I think they've got about about seven or eight guys that are doing that. And, uh, and they're all performing reasonably well, and they're all playing great defense. Uh, that, I think, is where they've hung their hat this year, and it's been, and it's really made a huge difference. It's, I don't know, it's kind of fascinating to me that seeing a team, you know, literally going like, I mean, they, they are literally going 10 deep um, in every game, and they're just rotating guys in and out. And, and one of the things, you know, you mentioned when we were talking about this off the air is, you know, they just sort of they throw just like so many big bodies at you. Yeah, I mean, they have, uh, you know, they have a big front line, and not just a tall front, you know, not just tall guys. Josh Owens at 6'8", but, and Dwight Powell, but, I mean, they're strong guys up front. Um, Anthony Brown on the wing, 6'6", 200. Um, and then they, they have this sort of like, you know, a, a few Zimmerman, who's sort of this, like, I would say a very, very, very poor man's Mark Madden, Madsen, who comes in and sort of provides energy and yells a lot and looks crazy. And then they've got who a guy who wasn't playing early in the year, but who's played a lot more, John Gage, who's at, from Fashion Island, Washington, who uh, who is sort of, uh, well, old school Sonics fans, maybe a little Sam Perkinsy. He's, he, he He likes to shoot the three a lot draws guys out and, and has been knocking down that shot. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, they've got really big height, uh, and that is, uh, is a big advantage for them. You know, it's going to be interesting to see Owens and Powell really haven't done much. Um, at least not not what we expected. I think we we yeah. sort of expected that both of them would 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 lead the team to wherever it was going to go. And, and the reality is that they haven't. You know, Owens Owens has been pretty good. Uh, you know, but not again not not spectacular. I guess. Right. So you know, it's I, I think if, if I'm a Stanford fan, I'm very encouraged by that fact. I mean, I know that it would sort of right. be tempting to wring your hands and say, why aren't our best players? Why are two guys that we thought were going to be our our leaders, you know, why aren't they playing better? But, uh, you know, when, when you are able to have success and your better players are sort of struggling, that is, uh, that's definitely a, a good thing, you know, and they, they went out and beat North Carolina State uh, Sunday night at home, which is a good win. Not a, not a you know, an earth-shattering win by any means, but, but uh, you know, a good win. And, and now it's gotten to a point where, Ken Pomeroy is predict, projecting the uh, the most likely outcome for them in terms of overall wins being 25 <laughs> overall wins wow. or between 24 and 25, and then uh, and then conference wins most likely being between 13 and 15 wins. Which I don't know if I'm quite ready to go that far yet, but um, but you know the the decent teams that they've played, they've played well. They they beat Oklahoma State pretty good. They uh, nearly beat Syracuse and uh, and and held off a, a feisty North Carolina State team. So the, the, the key for them, and like I said, it, it's it's the defense. I'm looking up and down their defensive profile here. I mean, they're um, they're they're holding teams to to low shooting percentages. They're forcing a ton of turnovers. They're not allowing a lot of offensive rebounds, and they're keeping the other team off the line. It really is uh, pretty remarkable. At this, at this point, Pomeroy's got them ranked as the ninth best uh, team in the country in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency, which um, still does include, I believe, some projection element from last year, but it sort of becomes less and less with each 
passing game and passing day. Um, but that's that is that is impressive uh, that they're only allowing about 0.87 points per possession on on an adjusted level. So um, they're really good. And then Oregon yeah. State. You know, Oregon State is uh, is doing what continues to do what Oregon State does, I guess, this year, which is uh, play super fast. Although their their game against Towson was super slow, fifty eight mm. possessions. That may have had more to do with Towson, and also may have had to do with the fact that it was a a complete and total blowout. Um, well, that, you know, that's what I like about Oregon State's done this year. I mean, it, it, you know, uh, I really think when you know you know a team's gotten good when not only do they win the games. That they play against inferior talented teams, but they blow them out. They should. And yeah. Oregon State, who has had a history under Craig Robinson of losing to teams that they absolutely should not lose to last year, uh, to Seattle U and also to Montana. This yeah. year, they beat Montana by uh, quick math, 36 points, 35 points, 25 points. Pardon me. Um, you know, they blow them out. They beat Towson by 20 points. And to me, that's really the mark of a good team is when you're, you know, playing as the way you should play against everybody. Um, and, and they're and they're doing that right now. Yeah, they are. And, and they've got, uh, you know, a, a quasi-dangerous game this week against Idaho. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's they do play Idaho a couple days after Idaho plays WSU, so I don't know. Maybe they'll be tired. Who knows? And I do have <laughs> to say about uh, about OSU is we you know we had a lot of fun last year again of when we weren't making fun of UCLA fans of making fun of everyone saying oh Jared Cunningham's the best defensive player in the year he gets so many steals ha 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 true. but he's this the point true. of the one three one zone who's leading the conference in steals right now Yep they Jared they Cunningham are with they a are ton. Still him and, they're still getting a ton of steals him and Amad yeah. Starks lead the league. Two point eight steals a game. That's nuts. Yeah, so. he's. Uh, I, I would say you know there. You could make a really good case right now for Jared Cunningham, kind of being. I don't know if we'd say in the lead, but um, being right in the conversation of best player in the Pac-10 right now. Um, you know, he's, yeah. he's he's disruptive on defense. He's drawing a, a bleep ton of fouls on offense. He's Palmer's got him down for nine point one fouls drawn per forty minutes, which is fifth in the country. Um, you know, so he's drawn a t- he's taking a ton of shots, he's drawing a ton of fouls. Um, getting to the line, he's making seventy seven percent of his of his free throws. Um, he's not turning the ball over. He's not really assisting anybody, but you know, he's putting the ball through the basket, right. so that doesn't really matter too much. Um, so his, you know, his his offensive rating is 113, which is excellent for a guy using about 27% of possessions. And, you know, it's, uh, I'd say it's all positive. Game. He had the best game of anybody in the conference this year, 37 against Texas and that. Yep. I mean, yep. crazy fast pace, but overtime win, you know. 37 points and 18 shots because he had got the line 23 times, which, yep. you know, hey, good for him. So, yep. um, uh, yeah, I, I think he's, he's if, if we're talking player of the year, I think he's got to be up there for sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh Any other pleasant surprises you want to you want to? I don't know. There aren't really any other pleasant surprises, I guess. No, I wouldn't <laughs> say in the conference. I mean, you know, I kind of feel like maybe Arizona State's starting to put it together yeah, yeah, a little good. bit. Like they won a game, which is always a plus. Well, they won on um, the road at Tulsa. That's Tulsa's yeah, not a terrible a, team. Right, and then, you know, they, they're finally starting to get Keala King, who was very, very highly touted recruit and didn't do a whole lot last year, um, is starting to score. Uh, you know, he was brought, he was sort of 
talked about as like a Kawhi Leonard type. He can kind of play all over the floor, and he's got a lot of skill. You didn't really see it last year, but this year he's starting to pick up his, his scoring, and they really need that. He was one for 18 from three-point range last year, and now he's you know shooting like a reasonable amount, a reasonably decent percentage. So they really need some scoring from somewhere else, and uh, and they're getting it from him. So um, I'd say that's a that's sort of a good sign. Yeah, and Trent Lockett is playing very, very well for them, mm-hmm. shooting very well. Uh, you know, he's not taking a ton of threes, but he's making 62.7% of his twos, which is a r- super high number for uh, for a guard. So um, he's playing very well. Uh, Carrick Felix, who is a guy they expected a lot out of um, the first couple of years and, and didn't get much out of, is also playing well, um, shooting well, getting to the free throw line, uh, not taking as many shots as – as, as those other guys, but but also playing pretty efficiently. Um, it, it's kind of weird as I'm looking up and down their profile here. You've got Felix and Lockett and King all sort of, they, they are all above 100 in offensive efficiency with Lockett and Felix both above 115. And then you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys who are all under 90. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's their problem. But, I mean, if they can get yeah. a couple of guys scoring, yeah. then uh, so, maybe they've got a shot at doing something. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when they play a team that, that can actually take away a couple of options at a time and force, yeah. you know, the other three guys to try and try and beat them. Uh, you know, it's kind of the same problem the Cougars have um, as they've tried to, to get their season back on track is, um, you know, they're, they're sort of constantly playing with usually about two guys on the floor at a time who are who are not even remotely offensive options. Uh, Marcus Capers and, and Charlie Inquist, who, uh, you know, are just bad, bad offensive players. Although Charlie, we, we joke at, at Coog Center about Charlie Ball because he's um, just very tall and, and very, very white and, and just very awkward sometimes. But uh, but he did have 20 and 13 this, this past weekend against Eastern Washington in a sort of easier-than-expected victory against against the Eagles. So uh, maybe maybe I should, we should stop teasing him because he did have a very good game. And he works very hard. So That's good. Well, you know, yeah. sometimes that's all you can do. Um, I, would, I think before, there, there is one more I would like to point out. Uh, yeah. Thing that happened this week that was sort of amusing. I'm I'm trying to stick with the how bad is Utah watch. Yeah. And um and Utah uh uh well we'll start we'll we'll set the scene with Fresno State on uh, November 30th hosted the Academy of Art Urban Knights, a Division two team out of Southern California, and beat them by 30 points, 85 to 55. And then four days later they hosted Utah and beat Utah by 30 points, 82 to 52. Correct. So the conclusion that one would draw from that is that Utah is equally as uh, good at basketball as the Academy of Art Urban Knights. And perhaps one should not draw that conclusion, but um, given how Utah has performed, I don't know that that's necessarily uh, completely crazy. Yeah. So they, they continue to just set new lows for incompetence, and I really do not think they will win a game. Well, they do play uh, Cal State Fullerton this week. Idaho State is probably their and best. I, and shot. Idaho State, yes. So they, uh, they've got, and they've got both of those at home, so, so you know, who knows what... Uh, what yeah, no, that's, good, that's a good point. So, yeah, I don't know if they'll be favored in those, are they even lines on these games? Probably there are. But uh, but um, yeah, but, I will say uh, that Pomeroy does project them to win in both of those games. Although the, really? the, Cal, okay. State, yeah, right. the Cal the Cal State Fullerton game is he's got that as a toss up, which which basically means that 
you know, Cal, he would favor Cal State Fullerton on a, on a neutral floor, but right. playing up in Utah, uh, it's a coin flip. And then the Idaho State game, he actually does project them as a, as a six-point favorite in that game. But the rest of them, it's a whole lot of L's <laughs> the rest of the way down. Um, uh, you know, and yeah. they play BYU uh, in the, the – I don't know. Do they call it the basketball holy war out there? Do they do, they do that? Uh, I like, yeah, I don't know if they – yeah, I'm not sure how that, how that works. Mean, yeah, out here it never really. They say you know the apple cup of basketball, which never really takes hold. No one says that. I know it seems no kind of silly. That. Yeah, it seems <laughs> kind of silly, but you know. I, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to. I'm, I don't know how much of a, a home court advantage Utah will have. They lost their last <laughs> game at home <laughs> yeah. by you think by 22 think? points to UNC Asheville. Yeah, and the attendance, the listed attendance, mind you, the reported attendance was 1,645. They have a large arena, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And if the reported attendance is 1,645, you can probably bet there are about 500 or 800 people there. Yeah. And then oh, this is, oh, excuse me. I Pardon me. This was in the Bahamas. Forget it. Yes. Forget it. That was in the Bahamas. I take it all back. All right. We should probably just move on. Yep. Well, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there ain't much else to say. You know, USC, they, uh, they, they might not win another game until – I don't know. I don't know when. <laughs> Playing, they got New Mexico. They got Georgia. They got TCU, which TCU isn't very good, but but also isn't terrible. And Kansas yeah. uh, remaining in their non-conference slate. Uh, Oregon is a team that we didn't really talk about. Um, they lost another guard, which right. I talked about. Another, another freshman point guard. Yeah, no, we didn't. We talked. Well, we, we did talked not about talk. Jabari Brown. That's right. So we did not talk about that last week. They, they did lose another guard. They went out and got really just sort of manhandled by BYU, which BYU. A lot of people think BYU sort of kind of like the San Diego State thing. You know, they BYU did not just fall off a cliff. They are still playing well, and that's still a good team. And so yeah, they have a lot of still have a lot of like twenty seven year old guys in that team. And so first they do. They're 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 bigger, and yes. you know, they kind of have some. Uh, you know they they play together well, so yes, yeah. I know that you know some Oregon fans that I that I sort of keep in contact with on Twitter, um, you know were were pretty disappointed by by the game. They said, oh well, it wasn't even as close as that fourteen points. And and I have to say, you know, again, you know, losing losing to BYU in Salt Lake City, um, you know, as, as much as you want to say that's that's not literally playing at BYU. It's I mean as close as you're going to get. So uh, it's. They, I don't know. No shame there. I guess is what I would I say. I don't think so. No, no not at all. There. So, no. and you've got the next six games at home, and about the only one that looks like even remotely a challenge is uh, is Virginia with Tony mm-hmm. Bennett bringing his uh, his uh, defensive, you know, dogfight into uh, into Matt Knight Arena. So that that will be an interesting game, but that's still that's still about a week and a half, two weeks away. So, yep. we'll talk more about that when it gets closer. So. I don't know. Is there uh, any any interesting matchups you see this week that we should that we should touch on real quick? It's a really light week um, on the schedule. I mean, I think uh, I think that, I mean, there's a few kind of interesting. I mean, the, probably the most interesting games are the Huskies uh, playing uh, two games in Madison Square Garden. I assume it's some sort of tournament of some sort, although I can never keep straight which is which. Um, they play Marquette. That game's at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday. Um, on ESPN2, and then Saturday morning. Is that right? That just seems wrong to me, but maybe that's right. Uh, Pac-10 has it Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Yep, They're playing correct. at Duke, and I'm sure that game will be televised uh, on uh, televised live. And that, that, I mean, game's also, that game's also in New York. They're both in New York. It's also in New York. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that much. It seems weird to stay there for three days, but hey, that'll be fun. 
Um, so yeah, I mean uh, Arizona plays at Florida, which is yep. you know uh, that's pretty much the other one I think. That's, yeah, that's it. I mean that's everything else is sort of you know just not they won't really t- I guess won't really tell you anything. Uh, you know Penn plays at UCLA and that could be demoralizing. That's Saturday. <laughs> uh, Saturday yeah. at four on route. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think those probably those two games, it, it will be interesting, I think, to see how, you know, I mean, Washington, they don't really have another game against, let me look at the schedule, but I don't believe they have another really another game against a, you know, a good non-conference team. So if they're going to make any kind of, statement to the tournament, which they weren't able to do last year, and so they ended up being a nine seed or whatever it was, um, you know, this is really going to be the time for them to do it. They have, yeah, the, their remaining their remaining games are against, you know, not good teams, so so they've got to do it now. If this is it. If they don't do it, then it's, it's bad for the conference, uh, and it's definitely, it's, it definitely kind of means, you know, their hopes of getting any seed above. Honestly, I would say probably above like a five or six are probably probably gone. Yep, yep. The conference needs needs someone to do something. And it's running out of chances, yep. you know, it's we're reaching that yep. point in the in the non conference schedule where teams sort of finish out with a string of uh, non conference patsies as as they head into finals and things like that. You know, coaches um, I don't I don't know if I would say notoriously, but they do schedule fairly lightly heading in, you know, the, the second, third week, fourth week of, of December, uh, with with finals and Christmas and, and all of these things that uh, you know they tend to not have a lot of a lot of high quality opponents heading into conference play. So uh, need to get something I guess now and uh, something to try and raise the profile of the conference, but not not feeling not feeling too uh, too confident about about any those things so it's going to be interesting uh i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean let's hope uh, they I, don't let's hope they don't like washington going to new york and just get annihilated two different games and and oh, same God. thing with arizona flying out it to florida years ago, yeah i think uh i think this could be this could be a, a nice week or it could be a, a terribly we are waterloo so, all right everyone's sending yeah. good thoughts good thoughts yep Good thoughts. Good thoughts to, to the East Coast for uh, for our West Coast teams heading out that direction. All right. Well, hey, that'll do it for this week on, on 18 Live, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. Uh, on behalf of Seth, I'm Jeff, and our producer, Jeff Collier. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again next week.